talk about. Burner covers are nice. Frozen squirrel in a Ziploc bag, not nice. Hoof shoes, nice. None of it compares to the gift that we find in Luke 2.10. So let me, let me pray, and we'll get going. Father God, we do, uh, we do thank you for this day, this time. Uh, Lord, I thank you for every heart that's in this room. And Lord, I do pray this, that in this time of, of Advent, the season of Advent, uh, Lord, that we would focus our hearts completely and solely on you. Uh, Lord, today's message is the most simple of messages. It's, it's straightforward gospel. Uh, but Lord, I think it's so easy for us to quickly move past it and miss it. And Lord, I do pray this, that we would uh, stop and drink deep from your message. We'd stop and drink deep from what you want to speak to us through uh, a, a baby in a manger and a man on a cross and a Savior walking out of a tomb. And so Lord, I do pray that you would reveal your wisdom and your truth. And Lord, that you would change hearts and lives this morning because of who you are and because of what you've done, what you've done, and that we wouldn't check ourselves or discount ourselves because of what we've done. Father, we thank you. We love you. It's in your awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen. Luke, uh, Luke 2. I'm going to read some of uh, what David read last week. Uh, Luke 2, starting in verse 8, says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. To you, he is Christ. He's the Lord. I bring you good news of great joy. The uh, founding pastor of uh, what we know as the Transformation Network now was Wesleyan Fellowship, and then it became Riverstone, and, and we're kind of a plant off of that. Founding pastor's name was Charles Sineth, and he used to, when he would preach, almost every message it was good news, good news, good news. And, and I think this, I, I've been struggling for the last week, two weeks, about this message today, about what to talk about. And, and what it hit me yesterday, because I'm smart, what hit me yesterday was this, I'm making too much of it. I'm trying to infuse too much of me into the message. I'm trying to, Molly asked me yesterday, she said, well, how do you feel about it? What are you talking about? Where are you going? I said, well, I'm really kind of struggling. It's kind of simple, and I'm trying to figure out where to go with it. And her, being very wise, looks at me and says, shh, stop. It's a simple message for simple hearts and simple minds. And the reality of it is, he simply says, grab a hold of it. Hang on to it. Rest in it. And let it transform your life. And I, I was praying about it this morning. And what, it, what I heard him say very clearly this morning was, I don't need you to make me look better. I don't need you to make this sound better. I don't need you to make this sound more creative, more artsy, more engaging, more entertaining. There's not a more simple yet more profoundly life-altering truth than this. And that's the 2,000 plus years ago that, that, that a Savior was born in a manger and lived for 30 some odd years and then walked voluntarily to a cross and willingly allowed himself to be nailed to wood to die for us. And on the third day, he walked out of a tomb and he said, you don't have to try anymore. Period. That's it. And so you start thinking about the simplicity of the gospel message. It's not just about a baby. It's not just about a manger. My son can tell you every animal that was at the manger, and he actually added a few in there. There was a giraffe, if you didn't know. There was a giraffe at the manger. He can tell you every animal was there. He can point out to you who Jesus was in the manger. He can point out to you who Mary was and Joseph was. 
The question is, in my heart, in my life, in the way that I'm living him out, can people point to me and say, that's where Jesus is? Can people point to the words that are coming out of my mouth and say, that's what Jesus said? Can people point to the way that I treat other people and say, that's the way Jesus lived and treated other people? The simplicity of it is this. this isn't, the gospel isn't just about this, I get to have this eternity in heaven with a father that loves me, that's mad about me, that's absolutely crazy for me. I don't just get to have an eternity with him. I get to have a lifetime and lifestyle of good abundance because of who he is and what he did for my life. That's the good news. The good news is he says in John 10, 10, I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. You don't have to wait for this eternity that you're going to get. You don't have to wait till you, there really is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, and you're walking streets of gold to have this deep, profound joy that, that, that infuses everything that you do. He says, I've come so you can have joy now. You know, the thing that we kind of landed on for Stonebridge for Advent was this idea of joy. We want, to, we want to be a body and a church and a people that are filled with his joy. And I think that we quickly confuse the idea of joy with happiness. That if I feel good, that if I'm happy, that if everything's right in my world, if I can sing songs with a good heart, then I have joy. Joy isn't happiness. Real deep happiness stems from joy, but joy isn't dependent upon you being happy. Joy is dependent upon you believing that you have a Savior that's bigger than everything else in your world that's against you. Joy is this deep, profound confidence that he's going to show up and be real and move even in the absence of my ability to hang on to that and even grasp big picture what that looks like. And so he says, I'm going to show up and move in real ways. If you choose to engage what I'm doing and engage me in the process, there's abundant living and joy in the process. Does that make sense? If you look at Philippians 2, talk about this. The creator of the heavens, the creator of the universe, the maker of everything, the maker of you, the maker of me, says this, I can't stand not being with my people, but I can't be with my people because of this sin issue in their world and in their life. And so if I want to be with my people, the only way that I can reconcile them to me, the only way that I can bring them back into right relationship with me is to take on the very form of the created. That'll mess with you a little bit. That the creator of the universe took on the form of the creation that he made and he said, this is the only way. The way I get it, and some of it's just semantics, is simply this that he didn't have to. There's nothing about his covenant with us that we broke through our sin. There's nothing about his covenant with us that says he is going to have to do this. But he had to because of the character and the nature of his heart. First John says this about God, that God is love. Simple, easy, basic, God is love. And because God's character and his heart and his being is love, he had to step into our world to save us from us. And he says, I'm for you. I'm all for you. And the only possible response to that is simply joy. The only possible response to that is celebration that I don't have to try anymore. There, there, there's no amount of presence that you can buy and put under the tree and, and make him love you more. There's no amount of presents or gifts that you can get, donate to Must Ministries or put under the angel tree or food that you can go and cook and turkeys you can take. Nothing that you can do to earn what he's already freely and willingly giving you by grace. And what he says is simply this, hang on to that. 
Because if you hang on to that, your world and your life is going to look radically different than it does today. Philippians 2, 1 through 8 basically says this. If you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself humble. He made himself nothing. Other translation says that he emptied himself or he poured himself out, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And he found his appearance as man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the what. If you're trying to hang on to what's the gift, that's the gift, is that he entered our world, took on our form, was faced with the same trials and tribulations and temptations. Everything that you face and I face, he faced, and he came out the other end perfect, and he said, I do this for you. I think intellectually we grab a hold of that. Intellectually, I get it. I've been in church my whole life. I've heard about Jesus. I know the story. I get this little gospel thing. I think intellectually is one thing. I think life transformation is another. There is soul-stirring power and change in hanging on to that reality that he died for me. He's on that cross for me. That this baby in a manger became a man on a cross and a Savior walking out of a tomb and now lives as a Holy Spirit inside of me that says, I'm bigger than everything you're going to face. You, you, you can't say, you don't know what I'm going through. You can't say, you don't understand what it's like to be tempted because you're God, because he does. And he says, I walked through the fire, and I walked out unscathed. At the end of the day, I want you walking with me. And he says, I can do that in your life. So the what is, that's the gift. The why is this. If you go to Romans 3, Romans 3, starting in verse 22, it says this. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And and make sure you hang on to that part of it. This righteousness, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's available to all. It's there for all. It's your choice and response, what you do with it. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. The only way that I have any relationship with him at all is because of him, not because of me. Not because of laws that I keep, not because of gifts that I give. It's only and all because of him. And so I'm justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Romans 5 says this, verse 8. It says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the why because of, or the why for the what is simply this, because we can't do it on our own. Because we can't be good enough. We can't fulfill the law. We can't live up to the standard. And so he has to do it for us. And so the question off of that becomes, if I say yes to him, what's the outcome of that. When I say yes to him, I say yes, I believe that you died on a cross. I say yes, I believe that you walked out of a tomb. I say yes, I believe that you are bigger than everything else that's against me. What is it that comes out of that? And if you go to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, 
And this is what the, uh, what the girls read this morning. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is in the temple. He takes the scrolls. He unrolls them. And when he reads to the body in the temple, this is what he read. And basically what he says is, this is me. This is why I came. I'm the one that's fulfilling this. This is the benefit of me coming and living. Here's what's going to happen. And so in 61, 1 through 4, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Any of those hitting home? Any of that grabbing a hold of you yet? Anybody in here need comfort today? Anybody in here need hope today? Anybody, anybody in here in that, that, that mode of, I, I, I'm, I'm in this fog. It's depression. Winston Churchill called it his black dog, whatever it is. Anybody in here battling this idea that I just can't shake this overwhelming sense of I'm drowning, I'm suffocating. It may be seasonal. It may be months or years. It may be a lifestyle of I can't get out of this funk. I'm just drowning and floundering. Anybody in this, this, this hold, this stronghold of addiction that's got a piece of you, whether it's chemical or physical or some kind of emotional addiction to where you're just getting beat up day after day after day, and, and you're saying like the apostle that why do I do what I don't want to do, but I can't break free? And he says, I've come so that I can break that bondage for you. I've come so that you can have freedom from addiction. You can have freedom from this darkness that surrounds you, that's, that's coming over the top of you. Some of you just need somebody to say, it's going to be okay. Some of you just need somebody to say to you personally, you're going to make it. You know, there's a lot of people in this room that are in that phase of life where either your parents or your grandparents are starting to, to enter the late stages of life and there's illness and there's disease and there's that battle and tension of are we going to have to put them into a facility where they take care of them. Some of them are struggling with Alzheimer's, some of them Parkinson's or Lou Gehrig's. And we're trying to figure out, my heart is broken and grieving because the ones that have already taken, always taken care of me, now I'm having to take care of them and it breaks my heart and I don't know what to do with that. And what he says to, to you, to us, is I get you. I'm with you. I understand. That's the purpose behind me coming was to break bondage and to release captives, to, to break this bond of depression or the stranglehold of of fear that's in your life. He says, I came for that. And then going down it says, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How about that? You get called a lot during the day. You get called a lot during the week, especially if you deal with people. You're going to get called a lot, either to your face, behind your back, maybe it's your employees, maybe it's the person you live with. I don't know. You're going to get called a lot of things during the course of a given day or week. And here's what he says about you. I'm going to call you an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and you're going to display my splendor. How about that? Anybody want to hang on to that one? I'm tired of being called names. I'm tired of being, being put down. I'm tired of being discounted or checked out. I'm tired of other people putting labels and identity on me. I'm going to hang on to what he says about me. And he says he makes me an oak of righteousness to display his splendor. How about that? John, John 4. In, in, in John chapter 4, there's this great story. 
Jesus has just finished with the lady at the well, and he's walking on, and this, this Roman official comes up to him and says this. It's fantastic. Roman official comes up to him and says, I don't really know you completely. I've heard you do great things. I heard that you change lives. I heard that you do miracles. I know that you can heal. And what he says simply is this. On the road, Roman official says, my son is dying, and I need you to step in. My son is dying. I have this situation, and I need you to step in, or my son's going to die. And Jesus was somewhat put out with the disciples, but what he said, Jesus' response to that is, you people, you keep asking for miracles and signs and this and that, and the Roman official still, with a broken heart, says, okay, I, I know you're probably frustrated. My son's dying, and I need you to make him well. And Jesus looks at the Roman official, and he says this. He says, go your way. Your son will live. And then it says this beautiful part. The second part of John 4.50 says this. It says that the Roman official took him at his word and walked on. I think for a lot of us, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time taking him at his word and walking confidently that he's going to step into our situation and fix what we've messed up or fix what others have messed up and broken. And he says, I want to step into your world. And what he wants us to do is simply that. Like the Roman official, take me at my word. You know, the, the, the little video snippet you saw before we started now, it talks about the word becoming flesh. John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came, right? And then in John 1.14, it says this, it says, the word became flesh. When Jesus came, literally, he who was from the beginning of time, the word that spoke existence into existence, took on flesh, took on our form, and became alive. It says that the Word became flesh and walked among, the, among us and lived among us, right? What he says to you today is this, and what he says to us today is this. He says, I want my Word to be active and alive in your flesh. What can I do in your world? I can be active and alive in your flesh, right? This, this whole thing of Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, where it says, I've come to proclaim release and freedom and hope and, and release mourning and give encouragement. I've come to do all that. What he says now that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us is, I want you to do the same. I want you to help each other release each other. I want you to speak words of encouragement and truth and hope into each other. I want you to help each other unpack this junk and these addictions and these strongholds. I want you to be in each other's lives. I want you to be me to them in this place now. And so the question for us off of that is simply this. How do you respond? How, how do you respond to that? And, and I've, I've got a couple different scenarios here. I think the easiest one is simply this. When I hear that, when I grab a hold of that, what it says to me is there's zero other response other than joy. There's zero other response other than celebration. I may not see my addiction being broken right now, but I am 100% confident that he that's in me, that he that came and was born in a manger and died on a cross and walked out of a tomb, that he that's in me is greater than anything that's trying to bind me. And he says, I want you to be free and released, and I'm going to do it. And what he says to me is, take me at my word. I want to have joy. I want to be confident that he's going to move despite my present condition and circumstance. I think, I think this, we, we sing these worship songs, which is fantastic, and, and Bo's fantastic. 
We sing these songs with great words. And, we, and sometimes worship gets real good and it gets really loud and, and some of us have a hand or moving this. That's not joy, necessarily. That can be an expression of joy. Joy is simply hanging on to the fact that despite what I may see, he has a bigger picture that I'm a part of and he's going to continue what he started in me to the completion. Does that make sense? And so one response is, I grab a hold of it, and I'm going to say yes to him, and my response is going to be joy and celebration and passion. Another response is this. I think some of us kind of discount ourselves. Some of us check ourselves out. In the, in the, in the birth story, when you talk about Mary, you know, Mary's this 15-ish, 14 to 15-year-old girl, and the, and, the, and the angel appears to her and says, Mary, great news. You've been most highly favored. And this young girl who's not even married yet says, well, great. I won the lottery. I'm going to get a new car. It's going to be fantastic. And the angel says, no, you're pregnant. No. Not what I was thinking. And so and her response is this. Her response is not, that doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Her response isn't, that can never happen. Her response is, how will that be? Not how can that be, not that can never happen, because her response is, how will that be? Believing, confident, firm. And the second part of that is, because I'm a virgin. That little qualifier of this thing over here and this thing that you're trying to do, for me, they don't make much sense. They don't line up very well. I think for us, we too often hang on to the disqualifier of, if you knew all the junk that was in my life, if you knew what I'd done, if you knew the sin that I've been engaging in, there's no way you can do this with me. You're saying you want to do this amazing, great thing in me. You've placed something in me that you want me to carry to term and give birth to, but you don't understand all of this. And what he says is, I don't want you to hang on to that you're a virgin, whatever that package is for you. What he says is, I want you to hang on to, I'm God and I can do whatever I want to. If you go down to the bottom of that passage with Mary, it simply says this. It says, nothing's impossible with God. And her response is, I'm your servant, have your way. Isn't that amazing? Take him at his word. I'm your servant, have your way in my life. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't count yourself out. Don't say you can't, because he surely isn't. He's saying, you are mine, I choose you. And I think another, another response is simply this. We keep going back to the same sin pattern, the same sin cycle. Here, if nothing else, the birth and the crucifixion mean this. I don't have to keep living in shame. I don't have to keep living in disgrace. I don't have to keep living in insecurity or failure or weakness or death. I get to live in full-on life. So I don't need to keep going back to that sin that I keep going back to so readily and easily. Proverbs 26.11 says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool that returns to its folly, which is fantastic before you take communion. But it says like a, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool that returns to its folly. Why do we keep going back into these same things? I've heard, I've heard two different pastors at least claim that this was their story. I don't care whose it is. It's a great story and it's true. There was a missionary in India, and he was sitting there, and if you've ever been to India or a country like India, Everything about that society hinges on the marketplace. All the action, the activity, all the exchange, everything that's 
that's societal kind of happens in the marketplace. And so this missionary was sitting up on a hill and he was watching the marketplace, watching the people go in and out, moving back and forth, and he got fixated on this one little scene that was happening over on the side of the marketplace, and it was these pigeons. And the pigeons weren't for pets, they were food. And so the pigeons were over there, and the way that they kept the pigeons was they had a pole in the middle of them and tied off of the pole with these little strings going down to all the pigeons, and they had a little ring around their neck of some kind to kind of keep them in tow. And all the pigeons did around this pole was they just walked in a circle, and they cooed and did the other stuff that pigeons do a lot. And so they're just walking around this pole, and they're all tied to these strings, and they're in the same order, and all they did all day was walk in a circle. So he, walked, he watched this thing for a long time, and he said, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand watching these pigeons be trapped in bondage and locked up. And he says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to buy every one of them, and I'm going to free them. And so the missionary goes into the, into the market, goes to this guy, and he says, I'm buying all of them. He gives his money, says, I'm buying all the pigeons. And so one at a time, they take the rings off their neck, and the missionary goes to him, and he goes, and he shoes him. Every one of the pigeons flies up, go flying off. Ten yards down the road, every one of them flew back down, lined up in the exact same order, exact same circle, exact same diameter, and started walking in a circle again. Living the exact same life they had a minute earlier, tied up to this cord. He said, well, maybe they just didn't get it. Maybe they didn't understand and he walks to them again, and he shoes them. They fly up 10 yards down the road. They flop back down, exact same circle, exact same order, and they keep walking. And you're like, well, those are dumb pigeons. They have no brain. I think as Christians, we do the same thing, only infinitely worse. He says, I've broken this bondage that you've been living under. I've broken this hold that sin has in your life, and you keep willingly choosing to engage in the same patterns and the same thoughts and the same customs that you've engaged in your whole life. And he says, today's the day that you can say, I'm done with the circle. I'm done walking on invisible chains. I'm done walking in invisible circles. I'm done being in invisible bondage because I know this, that because a Savior was born in a manger and died on a cross and walked out of a tomb and lives in me with the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not bound by what binds the rest of the world. And I'm going to choose to say, I want freedom. I'm moving to freedom. We're going to, uh, we're going to get ready to take communion. If you're, if you're serving communion, come on up uh, on the sides. And then Bo, come on down. As I was praying this morning, these three, four specific areas kind of spoke to me. And I think, I think this. I think as you're coming forward to take communion, if one of these four areas kind of hits you or speaks to you, there are going to be ministry teams on the side. Um, don't do this. Don't walk out of this place in the same shame that you walked into this place. Don't walk out of this place bound by the same depression that you walked into this place with. Don't, don't walk out of this place not knowing the Jesus that we so easily love and proclaim and say he's real. And, and so as you come forward to take communion, ministry teams are on the side. One of these four areas, if, they really, if it really speaks to you, one's depression. I, I think some, for some of us it's seasonal because of the, the time, the holidays, the family, all the activity that's going on. I think for some of us it goes deeper than just the season and the time of the year. Uh, for some of us it's this, it's had a hold on us for a long time, and, and I just don't know how to get out of it. And so if, if you're struggling with depression, uh, for some of us it's shame. 
because of lifestyle, because of our history and our past, we continually count ourselves out and discount ourselves. He says that I want to make you an oak of righteousness that shines and displays my glory. Take him at his word and say, I choose no longer to live in shame. I choose to live as an oak of righteousness that shines his glory. Like for some of us, it's that what we talked about with dealing with our parents or grandparents, and it's just eating us up inside, and we don't know what to do about it, or we know what to do about it. It's just hard. It just hurts. It's hard seeing the people that loved you and invested in you not being able to do it anymore. And, and we need encouragement in that. We want to speak encouragement into that part of your life. And I think for some of us, it's, it's simply this. You've heard a lot about Jesus, but you've never said, yes, I love you, Jesus. And I think if, if, if today you would say, you know, I've heard a lot about this Jesus. I've been around him a long time in my life, but I've never said yes to him. Uh, I, I think today could be your day. How can you not be captivated by all that he's done for us? So I'm going to pray for us. Um, the way we take communion is in kingdom, you're going to take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and, um, and then kind of come down the center and walk back on the side. Like I said, ministry teams are on the side. Um, let me pray. Let's pray. Oh, God, we do, uh, we do love you. you know, we just want to take a minute and um, kind of rest, rest in you, allow you to speak to our hearts, allow you to uh, reveal what you want to say to us, what you want to do in us, what response you desire to get out of us. And Lord, I do pray this. I pray that if, um, if we live in that world of I've been in this circle and I'm walking around this idol, I'm walking around this sin that I can't seem to break away from. Lord, I pray that today you would break that bondage. Lord, if it's, if it's a shame issue of, uh, of I keep digging my own dirt up and throwing it back in my own face, or people I live with are throwing my own dirt back in my face, Lord, I do pray this, that the day would be an end of shame and a beginning of a life that's transformed by the power of your word and your love. Lord, where, where addiction is, that there would be freedom and release where depression has clouded things and made it dark, that there would be clarity and light. Lord, where physical healing is needed, that you would move in a way that's undeniably and unmistakably you, that nobody else could explain it away other than the fact that you showed up and did what only you can do. Lord, I do pray this. Even as we, as we take communion and we kind of go through the words of, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my blood that was shed or poured out for you, Lord, I pray that it would have a heightened significance and meaning today in this place. Although we would truly think about the sacrifice of the cross and the unimaginable joy of the resurrection. And Lord, I do pray this, that our lives and our hearts would look radically different. That we would be a people that would allow your word to become alive and active in our flesh. That we'd be a people that would take you at your word and trust what you say about us and for us. Father, we do pray this, that in this Advent season, that in all things, that you would be preeminent. We love you, we thank you, it's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.